Thanks, Pete. It is really good to see you this morning. It is really good to be here. Thank you to Matt and Pete for the invitation. If you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to Colossians chapter 2. We were doing Colossians at the Village Church. I was talking to Matt about it, so he decided you'd do Colossians here as well. He's copying all my sermons. Actually, before we, before we look at those verses, before I read them, it is really good for me to be able to take this opportunity to say thank you to Grace Church. You know, thank you to Matt and Pete, because they have welcomed me with open arms into the office. I wasn't sure whether to say this, but I will, because I kind of get the sense that you're relaxed. I mean, so it is me who leaves mud on the carpet, and I'm very, very sorry, June. It is me who leaves the mugs in the kitchen, June. I'm really, really sorry. But it is not me if you come and go from the Grace Church office. It is not me who leaves the toilet seat up. Okay? I don't know who it is, but it is not me. Karen. Karen. We can't blame Karen because she's just arrived. Matt, Matt was away this week, and actually I noticed that it was left down. So, On, on a slightly more serious note, though, I, I am very, very, very grateful to... These guys, these guys are a real example and encouragement to me. It's lovely to have a room to work from rather than to work from home, but actually much, much better than that and much more important to me, the gift that it is to me to have these guys downstairs working away. Yes, we're kind of serving different churches, but we serve the same Lord, and so very, very grateful to you guys. And then very, very grateful to the rest of Grace Church. You know, it is your generosity that means there's the office, that means I can be there. So thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, let's read God's word. We're only going to read two verses. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let me ask you a question. How important to you is Jesus Christ? How important to you is Jesus Christ? If you're not a Christian, I wonder how you'd answer that question. On a scale from 1 to 10, where 1 is he couldn't be less important, and 10 is he couldn't be more important, I wonder what you'd say. How important to you is Jesus Christ? If you're a Christian, presumably you'd say, Jesus Christ is very important to me. If I didn't have Jesus Christ, I'd have no forgiveness. Jesus is my saviour, and by dying on the cross, he saved me from sin and death and judgment. Or if I didn't have Jesus, I'd have no future to look forward to. Jesus has saved me from death, for life, for eternity. If you're a Christian, presumably you'd say, Jesus Christ couldn't be more important to me. Okay, if you're a Christian, let me ask you another question. How important to you is your day-to-day relationship with Jesus? How important to you is your day-to-day relationship with him? Yes, Jesus has saved us from sin and death and judgment. It cost him his life, and that's amazing. And Jesus has saved us for eternity. There's a new creation to come, and that's amazing too. But he's also saved us for a day-to-day relationship. And so how important is that to you? 
if you're anything like me, you'd love a closer relationship with Jesus. Or maybe your relationship with Jesus feels a bit formal. You meet with him every morning, perhaps for 15 minutes or so, Monday to Friday, but it feels a bit formal or a bit formulaic. Or maybe at the moment you don't feel close to Jesus. Maybe this week you haven't met with him. To be honest, you haven't even thought about him and this week hasn't been that unusual. Most weeks you don't think about him apart from an hour or so on a Sunday morning. Or maybe you doubt your relationship with Jesus. You'd love a closer relationship with him, but you wonder, does he really want that with me? I've failed again and again. Does Jesus really want a close relationship with me? Well, you've seen in Colossians over the last number of weeks, yes, he really does. In this short New Testament letter, Paul is clear that Jesus saves people from sin and death and judgment. He rescues anyone who believes in him. He redeems all who believe in him. In him, people like us are forgiven. Paul is clear that Jesus saves people like us for eternity. We have this hope of heaven. Jesus has been raised and he'll raise us too. And those things are all amazing. But here in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, Paul says that our day-to-day relationship with Jesus is important. And he encourages us to invest in it. You can tell these verses are central to this letter of Colossians because of the way they start. Chapter chapter 2, verse 6 starts with the words, Therefore... Paul is saying, in light of everything I've said so far, let me encourage you to invest in your relationship with Jesus. So far, Paul has told the Colossians that Jesus is supreme. He's the Lord of creation and the Lord of the church. So far, Paul has told the Colossians that Jesus is sufficient. You don't need anything extra. Jesus is everything. And through faith in him, because of his death, people like us are rescued, redeemed, reconciled to God. Through faith in Christ, people like us are united to Jesus. We're in Christ and Christ is in us. And so on the one hand, objectively, Christians can't have a closer relationship with Jesus. But on the other hand, like any important relationship, our relationship with him is worth investing in, and it's important to do that. And Paul wants to encourage us to do that. In these verses, to encourage us to invest in our relationship with Jesus, Paul uses six images. Six images, and we'll look at each one very, very briefly in turn. Okay, here's the first one. Well, here's the first phrase, if you have another look at chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. The first image is of a gift. You received Christ Jesus. You didn't go and get him, he was given to you. If you're a Christian, there was a time when you were given a priceless gift. And receiving Christ Jesus as Lord means at least two things. Firstly, it means you heard the message about him. You heard about Christ, God's promised king. You heard about Jesus, the man who is also God. 
You heard that he's the Lord. Yes, he was crucified, but he was resurrected. He returned to heaven where he now reigns and one day he will come back to earth. There was a time when you heard that message for the first time. And hearing that message is a priceless gift. Maybe you were a child. Maybe you were an adult. Maybe you can remember hearing it for the first time. You can remember how strange it all sounded. But over time, you started to see this is true. You heard the message, you received a gift, and then you had to respond. That's the second thing that receiving Christ Jesus as Lord means. It means you responded, and you responded by humbling yourself. You realize that you couldn't pay for this gift, it's priceless. But you realize that God had paid for it for you. He was giving you this gift, the gift of a relationship with his one and only son for free. It's interesting that Paul uses the word Lord here. He doesn't use the word saviour. Jesus is saviour and becoming a Christian means receiving him as your saviour. But it also means receiving him as your Lord. If you're a Christian, there was a time when you humbled yourself before Jesus. You said sorry for the way that you'd lived against him. You said thank you for the way that he died for you. You said, please, please, Jesus, help me to live with you as the Lord of my life. That's how you become a Christian. That's how you be a Christian. You receive this priceless gift, this relationship with Jesus. And Paul encourages us to keep investing in that relationship. That's the first image, the image of a gift, receiving. Secondly, Paul says, walk in him. Have another look at verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. This is the second image, walking. Do you know what a zorb is? Zorbing seemed to be popular a few years ago. A big inflatable ball. You get inside and you run around like a hamster. And when I read these words, though, walk in him, that's what I think of. I think of zorbing. <laughs> Jesus is my zorb. If you're a Christian, Jesus is your zorb. And he surrounds you like a big inflatable ball. And like a big inflatable ball, he's your shield. Wherever you go, you're in Christ. He's your safety and your security. Wherever you go, even when you zorb through the darkest valleys, you're in him and he's in you. You see, our relationship with Jesus isn't just confined to 15 minutes a day. Jesus is with us 24 hours, seven days a week, forever. He's the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Our relationship with Jesus is like that, and it's important, and it's therefore worth investing in. Walk in him, or the NIV says, live your lives in him. That's the second image. Thirdly, rooted in him. Paul now expands on what it means to walk in Christ. And at the end of verse 7, he says, walk in him rooted in him. And so this third image is the image of a tree. 
A tree needs to be rooted. And Paul is saying a Christian needs to be rooted too. And this tree image is about being sustained. If a tree is uprooted, it can't be sustained. A tree needs the soil. If a tree is disconnected from the soil, it's disconnected from its source of life. Day by day, a tree needs to draw water from the ground. Something similar is true for the Christian. Christians need Jesus. And if a Christian is disconnected from him, we'll be disconnected from our source of life. Day by day, we need to draw from him. He's the only one who can sustain us. And so reading the Bible and praying or buying a book from ten of those, it's not a tick box exercise. I think you've been given a Lent devotional Forgiven by Tim Chester, is that right? You know, that's all about connecting you with your source of life. That's about day by day over the next 40 days, drawing from Jesus, investing in your relationship with him, listening to him through the Bible, speaking to him through prayer. Psalm 1 famously says, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his Lord day and night. And then the image that the psalmist uses is that of a tree. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. But the person who doesn't read the Bible or pray, by implication, is like an uprooted tree, disconnected from the soil. The stream is right here, life-giving water flowing through the pages of the Bible, But if we never open it, if we never read it or reflect on it or remember it, we won't yield fruit. Our leaves will wither. So this tree image is about being sustained. It's also about being stable. The roots of a tree give it stability. And the deeper the roots, the more stable the tree will be. Something is similar for Christians. The deeper your roots, the more stable you'll be. Some Christians have very deep roots. And those roots haven't grown overnight. But day by day, over the years, they've invested in their relationship with Jesus. Day by day, they read the Bible and pray. Week by week, they memorize Bible verses. Month by month, they visit 10ofthose.com. And maybe reading takes them a long time. They perhaps only buy one or two books a year. Maybe they only read half of those books. But over the years, little by little, they invest in their relationship with Jesus. Their roots grow deep. Decades later, they have deep roots. And the thing about deep roots is that when a hurricane hits, the tree survives. Sometimes you see a picture of a place devastated by a hurricane. But sometimes there in the middle of the picture, surrounded by rubble, is a tree. And it's still standing. And the only reason it's still standing is because of its deep roots. Sometimes Christians are hit by hurricanes. The storms of life sweep over them. And the only reason they're still standing is because of their deep roots in Jesus. You look on and you can hardly believe it. Look what they've been through. 
but somehow they're still standing. Uh, a member of the village church has recently been diagnosed with cancer. Sorry, it's <laughs> awkward. Uh, he's just started a course of treatment to shrink the tumour. There'll then be surgery, followed by another course of treatment, and there have been tears, of course there have. Nobody's saying there won't be tears in these situations. Uh, he's married, he's got children and grandchildren. Just a few days after he was diagnosed, he was due to lead our church prayer meeting on Sunday afternoon. Uh, I said, look, you don't have to lead it if you don't want to. Of course you don't. But he said he'd do it. And as you can imagine, at that prayer meeting, all eyes in some ways were on him. What, what was he going to say? And he turned to Psalm 95 and he read these verses. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout. I know you don't mind a bit of emotions here at Grace Church. You're much more in tune with your emotions than we are at the Village Church. It's fine to cry here. If I cry at the Village Church, everyone's like, what are you doing? <laughs> you weirdo. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. And at that prayer meeting, as he read that, you could almost hear a pin drop. You've just been diagnosed with cancer. You don't know what the future holds, but you're telling us to sing and shout to the Lord. And I think the reason he could do that was because he has deep roots in Jesus. We don't want to be Christians who are content to have shallow roots. So let's invest in our relationship with Jesus so our roots grow deep. That's the third image. Fourthly, built up in him. The fourth image Paul uses is also in verse 7. He says, walk in him, rooted and built up in him. The fourth image is of a building. But it's not a complete building. This is a building under construction. Yes, the foundation is in place. The walls the floors, the roof, they're not, though. And then there's all the decorating. And Christians or churches are a bit like that. The foundation is in place. Jesus Christ is the foundation. We build our lives on him. Everything else is sinking sand. But we're still very much under construction. God has started to work in our lives, but he's far from finished. And so we need to be built up. And there are all sorts of things that build us up. Here are a couple of them. The word of God builds us up. In Acts chapter 20, Paul says to a group of Christians, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up. The Bible builds. That's why you preach through it here, Sunday by Sunday. You might not even realise it as you're sitting in that seat, but God's word is doing God's work. It always is. The word of God is working in us this morning. Every Sunday you're here, the word of God works in you. Slowly but surely, brick by brick, building you up. The Bible builds. And so do people. In the New Testament, there's this repeated idea that people can build one another up. 
we build one another up with our lips, what we say, with our love and with our lives, our example and our encouragements. Yes, that can happen here on a Sunday morning, that can happen on a Tuesday or a Wednesday evening in your small groups, but that can happen any time, any place, informally. We care for one another in ways that build each other up. We communicate in ways. We've got all sorts of ways to communicate now in a way that builds people up. Or you can really listen to people. That builds people up. Or if you're listening to somebody after the service this morning, but you're not really listening to them because actually you're keeping your eye out for who you'd rather talk to. We've all done that out of the corner of our eye. But the thing is, that can bring people down. Even something small can bring people down. It's really easy to bring people down. It's a lot, lot harder to build people up. But we want to be people who do work hard at that. Grace Church, the Village Church, wants to be that kind of church. Of course, this half an hour sermon is important. But the half an hour after the service is also important. Maybe this morning, I don't know you guys, but maybe this morning you look across the room and think, I've never talked to that person before. Maybe this morning you could say to them, I'm sorry, I've never said hi, let me say hi, my name's whatever. Or perhaps you know everybody here, maybe you could tell somebody this morning you've been praying for them, that builds people up. Obviously you have to have actually prayed for them to say that. Or you could just say, look, I'm grateful for you, I'm sorry I haven't said it as much as I should. That builds people up, even small things like that build people up. I've been listening to a podcast. I know a number of you here have also listened to it. It's the podcast, You're Not Crazy. Guys, anyone listen to that? It's a conversation between an American pastor and a British pastor, and in one episode they talk about honouring people. The British pastor says British Christians are rubbish at honouring people. In fact, the only time he says we honour people is at their funeral. (laughs) And that is funny, but it's also sad. Honouring people by saying thank you to them builds them up. You can only do that whilst they're alive, so let's do it with one another. It would, be a, it would be great to be a church that builds people up. We want to be rooted and built up in Jesus. Fifthly, Paul says, established in the faith just as you were taught. Or the NIV translation says, strengthened in the faith. And so this fifth image is an image of a gym a place of exercise, a place of running machines and rowing machines, a place with weights which people lift or pull and push, all because they want to be strengthened. When Paul uses the word established in verse 7 or strengthened, a Greek gym is the image he's got in mind. And Paul isn't so interested in the Colossians being strong in the arms or strong in the abs. Paul is interested in them being strong in the faith. If you've got your Bible open, have another look at verse 7. Paul doesn't say he wants them to be established in faith. He says he wants them to be established in the faith. And it's the faith just as you were taught. And so this phrase, the faith, is referring to the body of truth that they've heard from Epaphras. Epaphras, remember, he's the guy who planted this church in Colossae. He's the pastor But he's received this body of truth from Paul, the apostle. 
Paul received it because he's an apostle and he received it from Jesus. And we've now received this body of truth in the Bible. We're not proclaiming our own versions of Christianity at Grace Church or the Village Church. We're not interested in being original. We're proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ that's bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, Colossians chapter 1. This truth has come down to us through the centuries. This truth has come to us across cultures and continents. This truth has come to us from Jesus himself. And Paul wants the Colossians to be established in it. He would want us to be strengthened in it. He would want us to work as hard at studying the Bible as we do at running or cycling or swimming. He would want us to work as hard at studying the Bible as we do at perfecting our tennis serve or our golf swing. People are rightly concerned about being physically strong. People have smartwatches that track everything. Their heart rates their breathing rate, their skin temperature, their daily steps, their nightly sleep, somehow their stress levels as well. And that's fine. But Paul might ask us, are you as concerned about your spiritual strength? If you're physically weak, yes, that can be serious. But if you're spiritually weak, that is much more serious. In fact, Paul would say to us, and you'll look at this in the coming weeks, in the coming chapters, you're in danger. In chapter 2, Paul will flag up a number of dangers. Uh, he'll say, if you're spiritually weak, you could be taken captive, chapter 2, verse 8. You could be judged, chapter 2, verse 16. You could be disqualified, chapter 2, verse 18. He's saying, you're in danger, and so you need to be established, you need to be strengthened in the faith. And we invest in our relationship with Jesus for our own spiritual safety, yes, but also for the spiritual safety of others. If we're spiritually strong, we'll be much more able to protect those who are spiritually weak, like children, for example. They're not strong in the faith. They can't be. It's impossible for them to be strong in the faith. But they live in a dangerous world. And if we're not strong in the faith either, we won't be much good to them when they come face to face with the dangers of being captive, taken captive or judged or disqualified. You know this already, but the Christian life isn't me and Jesus. It's us and Jesus. And we need one another to be strengthened, established in the faith. Sixthly, lastly, abounding in thanksgiving. Or the NIV says overflowing with thankfulness. And it would be easy to rush past this image. Yes, yes, Paul tells us to overflow with thankfulness like a river. A full, free-flowing, bursting-at-the-banks river. It would be easy to rush past this last image, but let's not do that. This image, I wonder, holds one of the keys to Christian contentment. If we're honest, most of us are discontent. Most of us want stuff we haven't got, whether that's a bigger house or a better husband, or a fitter body or a fatter bank balance. It can be stuff, or it can also be spiritual 
That was a danger for the Colossians. They're being tempted to think, I need some sort of super spiritual experience. Most of us, if we're honest, are discontent. And discontent is a subtle but serious problem. It's a joy killer. Discontent makes you miserable. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a miserable person. I don't want to be bitter or resentful. I want to be joyful. And if you want to be joyful too, it could be that Colossians 2 verse 7 holds one of the keys. Invest in your relationship with Jesus. If you walk in him, if you're rooted and built up in him, if you're established in the faith, you'll start to fill with thanksgiving. Rather than being focused on what you haven't got, you'll be focusing on what you have got. And in Christ, we've got hidden treasure. Have you looked at these verses yet, Matt? Where are they? The verses about Jesus. Oh, in him, yes, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him we are rich beyond our wildest dreams. And so if you're like me and you're a discontent person, it would be good to simply more regularly say thank you to God. It's very hard to be discontent when you're at the foot of the cross saying thank you to God who gave you his one and only son. Or in his book, it's on the ten of those bookstalls, I spotted it earlier. In his book, Faithful Leaders by Rico Tice, Rico Tice says this. Over the years, I have learned to kneel by my bed every morning and every night and simply give thanks, mainly for the gospel and then for the daily blessings I've seen. And then he says this. It has grown my thankfulness and throttled my resentment. If you want to throttle your resentment or your bitterness or your discontent, one of the ways to do that is simply more regularly say thank you to God. It might start as a tiny trickle once a day by your bed saying thank you to God. But that's how all rivers start. A trickle becomes a stream. A stream then becomes a river and that river can overflow that will bring real glory to God and real good to us. It will bring real good to other people. People will see that and they'll say, why are you so thankful? We'll be able to say, because of Jesus. Paul gives us six images to encourage us to invest in our relationship with Jesus. You received him as Lord, a priceless gift walk in him, be rooted in him, be built up in him, be established or strengthened in the faith and abound or overflow with thanksgiving. We're in Jesus. Jesus is in us. Why wouldn't we want to invest more in our relationship with him? Why don't we take a moment of quiet?